Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. All right, welcome everybody, and we've got a special guest today. Uh, her name is Jody Orgel Brown. She's dedicated more than 20 years of her career to helping others through philanthropy and nonprofit management. She holds a master's degree in organizational communication and a bachelor's in public relations and certified fundraising executive, as well as a, an award-winning author of a number one Amazon bestseller, Sun Still Shines. So, Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott and Becky. I appreciate it. Oh, and Jody, I saw on Facebook the other day that you have sold over 25,000 books. Yes, this was a big month. We, we surpassed 25,000 books sold um, and we're celebrating. That's a pretty big accomplishment. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> that's, that's massive. Yep, good job. Yeah, the sun still shines. Well, and it's absolute proof that some of the best things in life come from some of the worst things in life. You, you've hit some other milestones this month. Tell us, tell us about those. The other big milestone for me in June is that it's my uh, anniversary month. And it might sound silly to some people that we celebrate this, but it's my eight-year anniversary of my second chance at life. Uh, because eight years ago at this time, I was in the hospital dying from complications of a brain tumor around my brain stem. And I can't explain in words what a difficult time that was for my family. So it's a great, fun, celebratory time to be able to celebrate the good things now that, hey, eight years later, we're past that point. We have positive things going on. And the 25,000 books is just one of those little nuggets that make life good and fun and memorable. Well, I got to, I've got to ask you about this part then, because most people think that reason people become speakers, become authors, become self-help people or gurus, they do it because they've had something happen in their life. You were doing this before you had something happen in your life. I was. I actually spent all of my career up until my brain tumor, I spent in the nonprofit industry. I was raising money for organizations, trying to help whether it was small organizations, large organizations, get the funding they needed to run their nonprofits. Um, I was very, very passionate about it. I spent about 18 months right after I graduated from college in a high-tech position uh, in a, the for-profit world and quickly had an epiphany that that was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something that I felt would be more meaningful for me personally as well as give me a chance to give something to the world. I didn't want to just be working to put money in someone's pocket. I wanted to work to make a difference. And so I switched careers and started doing nonprofit and never looked back. And I was in the middle of being the executive director for a foundation, raising money for health and human services needs when I was diagnosed with my brain tumor. So it was actually a really interesting time in my life because I went from what I call being on the giving end of life where I was giving and asking for people to give and had the ability to do that 
not as much just financially, but I had the time and the dedication and the um, desire to give. And then all of a sudden, when I was diagnosed with the brain tumor and the symptoms started piling one on top of the other, then I went from being on the giving end of life to the receiving end of life in days, if not moments, as soon as that diagnosis came. So it was a big change in life for me. Um, but all it did was reinforce the fact that I wanted to help and wanted to give back and do things that were going to impact the world. That's wonderful. And something that I wanted to ask you is, is you're just so concerned about others and you're so concerned about giving back. But because of your situation that you have, um, you've had paralysis in your face. And, and half of your face is much similar to Bell's palsy. Is that correct? Is that a good explanation or is there better? No, that's absolutely correct. And that's what most people assume when they see me, because Bell's palsy is the most recognized reason that people have this condition, which is facial paralysis on either half or your full face. But most of the time when you see it, it is Bell's palsy, or at least that's what most people assume that it is. Right. But the reality is there are multiple, multiple reasons it can occur. And in my case, it was from the removal of the brain tumor when they were removing the brain tumor, it damaged my nerves. And so instantly in the process of removal, I lost hearing in my right ear. Um, I actually got a spinal fluid leak and then the facial paralysis and lost all feeling and, and nerves and muscle ability on the right side of my face. And, and you're a beautiful, beautiful lady. And you're out there to help people. But you've had people um, be kind of mean. How do you get through that, realizing you are beautiful inside and out and just pushing through and still helping those who sometimes hurt you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it took me a little while to come to grips and to remember that I am still me. Uh, at the inner core of who I am, no matter what face I present to the outside world, I am still me and I get to choose who that person is. And it did take a little while to get used to the stares and sometimes the comments. Uh, early in my battle, the changes in my face, the drooping were quite drastic and dramatic. I have since had a little bit of recovery as well as some reconstructive surgeries. Um, I wore an eye patch, a pirate patch, for about two years, and that draws attention quite quickly, probably as much as about a pirate would. The, the interesting thing was I had more negative things from adults than from children. Children are usually curious and they just want to know and understand what's going on. Um, but the adults were sometimes mean. And for a while when I got negative comments or actually what you would almost consider bullying, I would leave a situation and burst into tears. And then I think of all of the comebacks I should have said <laughs> if I had been prepared for the situation. But in the end, I realized the best comeback I can give the world is simply to be a strong person who does what she believes and stands up for the right and shows people that there is more to me and more to others than, you know, what meets the eye, that I'm much, much more than facial paralysis, that that's not who I am, but that has nothing to do with my heart. If anything, it's made me a more compassionate and more I don't know, understanding person. Now I look for others who might have something that's a little different about them. And I encourage my family and my children to look for others who are a little bit different because what that really means is they've had some sort of struggle and most likely they're better for it. They survived. They're stronger. So I've tried to not allow it to take over my identity or my purpose. 
But that had to be a real conscious decision because there were definitely times that I just wanted to hide from the world and not show anyone my face. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. I mean, so many of us wouldn't even go on a date because we have a zit on our chin, you know. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and you, you just look at those people and say, really? You know, is that define you? And, and so I love, I love where you're going with this. I, I love the boldness that you have to just still continue to be your authentic self. Oh, well, thank you. And, you know, I, I remember having pictures taken with someone once, and the person I was in the picture with said, oh, you can't use that picture. I was smiling funny. And I looked at him and said, sorry, you can't use that excuse with me. <laughs> you just have to take it as it comes and, and be happy with what we have. And, and that is one of the big things is, you know, we can take a 100 selfies to get one picture that we're going to post online. Or we can just be happy with the person who who is really there. And that's one thing that I think everyone has to come to is finding who they are, their own unique identity, and finding that authenticity and letting it shine from the inside. That is so important. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to know, how did you know that you had a brain tumor? Oh, that's one of the questions I get all the time. It took quite a while to get diagnosed, to find out what was going wrong. I was 32 years old. I was, you know, young, healthy, active. Uh, and so when I first went to the doctor, it was for dizzy spells. You know, the doctor took a look at me and said, we probably have an inner ear infection, which sounded perfectly legitimate to me. So we waited a couple months to see if the inner ear infection would go away. And the next time I went into his office, then it was for headaches. And I understand that everyone gets headaches. The signal for me was that these were different. These were more intense and they would last for days on end and were quite debilitating. So again, I went back to the doctor and said, Hey, I'm having these headaches. And he listened to the list of things on my to do check off list. And I'm, you know, mother of four children worked full time for this nonprofit, um, was very involved in the community and in my church. And he said, you're probably stressed out. You know, you're probably having migraines um, from stress. And that sounded legitimate to me, too. And so it really was more of taking things one at a time. I didn't realize that these symptoms were all related until months and months down the road when so many things stacked up, uh, ringing in my ears, the vertigo, the constant headaches, balance issues, loss of balance, and having to grab onto things in order to just stay upright. It was actually my husband who said, you know, Jody, something is wrong, really wrong. We need to keep asking until we figure out what it is. And so it was through his insistence that I went back to the doctor again and said, we need to keep looking and we can't, we can't stop until we figure out what it is. And that started the process. And so we did several tests and blood tests and family histories. And when the blood tests came back clean, they said, well, you know, everything looks good. And I had to insist, everything's not good. Everything is not okay. We need to keep looking because there is something wrong. And that's when the doctor said, well, the next step would be an MRI of your brain. And they scheduled an MRI for me at the hospital, but it wasn't for three weeks. And honestly, in that given moment, I was so bad, I couldn't walk down the hall. I actually crawled into my office picked up the phone and called the hospital and told them that I needed to move up my MRI time to get in as soon as possible. And they 
made space for me. They said, if you can come at six o'clock tomorrow morning, we'll fit you in before the rest of our patients. And so I was there the next morning. And that was my D-Day, my diagnosis day, where we found out that I wasn't crazy, but there was actually something going on in my brain and that it was most likely a tumor. Wow. And you were only 32 years old. Yes. I was living what I call my white picket fence life, you know, (laughs) everything was pretty good from my perspective. How did this diagnosis then change your life and your family handle this, the new challenges? Pretty much it changed everything. It started with the symptoms, but came more because we had to go into survival mode. All of normal life just stopped. All extras in life went away, um, whether it was piano lessons or soccer. If other people couldn't take the kids to do it or help do it, it just disappeared. Our priorities went back to the basics of, you know, food, shelter, taking care of health and the the family. Uh, I was very fortunate, continued to be very fortunate that my family and neighborhood stepped up big time. My family was just amazing. My my mom moved 3,000 miles and came and lived in our house and took care of my kids and acted as my personal health care advocate. Um, my dad flew out in preparation for the surgery and sat by my bed every day for 28 days while uh, I was at the worst of things in the hospital. And my sister and my neighbors ran our lives. They took over. So I'm, I'm very, very blessed that I was surrounded by a great group of people who all picked up the pieces that I was leaving behind. Did your paralysis um, happen, I mean, within... What's the time frame of when you were diagnosed with a brain tumor and your paralysis, or was your paralysis first and then your brain tumor? How did that all tie together? The paralysis actually was discovered within 24 hours after surgery because it was a result of damage to the nerves during surgery. Okay. So the tumor was initially diagnosed as inoperable. However, we through a series of what I call miracles, because I can't think of any other appropriate word to term them, um, we were able to find a person who said, you know, I can do this, which in one day turned my inoperable diagnosis into an operable diagnosis, which when you have a brain tumor on your brainstem and an entire healthcare system is telling you there's nothing they can do, that is overwhelming, scary, you know, life-changing. So the fact that there was someone who said they could remove it, that they would attempt to do surgery, was a huge benefit. So we were able to go in and get everything set up, and they performed surgery, and it was in the process of performing the surgery that the nerves were damaged. So that is when I woke up from surgery, which I always laugh about now because I think the good thing is, I woke up from surgery. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Look at the bright side, huh? It it was a pretty big deal to have this huge situation of this tumor that was literally smashing my nerves and and destructing my life um, to be able to wake up from that. Uh, So no matter how difficult or hard or painful the day it was, uh, it was also a good day (laughs) because I woke up. Right, right. And, And I just kind of visualized this. I've been to the dentist, and I know what it's like to drink a glass of water after coming back from the dentist and my lips still numb. You've had to learn how to re-eat, re-drink, re-talk, do things that you could say words in a different way. You lost a lot of control of the things that you had control over, that you felt comfort, comfort in, and, and uh, in your comfort zone, and you had to change that. Tell, explain that a little bit. You know, that was a really difficult 
thing to learn, not just with the paralysis, but with the fact that I had to learn that you just can't always control your circumstances. Uh, the tumor, all of the side effects that I encountered, I didn't have control over any of that. And um, I quickly, quickly learned that the only thing that I can have control over all of the time is my attitude and my reaction to the situation. And that honestly can make or break your future because attitude is critical for survival. In fact, I had many people who were in the hospital at the same time that I was. You know, I, I ended up being in the hospital. It was supposed to be one surgery in five days in the hospital, and I ended up having three brain surgeries and 35 days in and out of neurocritical care um, for that first round. And I saw many other rooms in the neurocritical care unit that emptied because people almost gave up on life. They stopped doing, stopped believing, stopped having hope, and despair set in. And that is a very hard thing to watch. I can't imagine the things that they were going through. I felt fortunate to be surrounded by a group of people who were fighting for me and helping me to keep hope. But I also did believe that there was reason for me to keep going. And that's something that having that hope that there is something better in the future, that's critical. And then being able to just decide that, hey, maybe this isn't what I would have expected or what I would have wanted, but I can make the best out of it. And I can't let this define my own value and my own worth. I'm more than these things or these circumstances. And so that's been a big lesson for me. Oh, and you've taken what you've learned in your lessons and you, you share your story in more detail in, in your book. I want you to tell us the name of that book again and where our listeners can, can purchase that. Well, thank you. Um, yes, my book ended up being a very therapeutic experience for me. It's called The Sun Still Shines. And right there, that is representative of what I believe, which is no matter what storm you're going through in life, you can find the sun and the bright moments. And you may have to wait for the clouds to part. You may have to go in search of it, but the sun is still there. So the book is available at any online retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, also through my website. You can go to thesunstillshines.com. And right now we are having a giveaway for some free copies of the book because of our big 25,000 sales. So we are doing that right now as well. So go ahead and go on the website and sign up for the potential to win a free signed copy of the book. Um, but the speaking part actually came fairly organically. Uh, people, when I got out of the hospital, they just started asking me to tell my story. Just, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe you survived this. What I didn't know was most of my neighborhood and the people who knew me were declaring behind closed doors that they didn't think that I was going to live. And so when I did, even though I came out physically weakened, I also felt mentally stronger once I started to realize how much I still had to offer. And so I started going and just telling my story, just trying to make the world a better place. I found that there are three main areas that resonate with me um, that I can hopefully help people with. And I call it amping up because my business is Amplio Development, which Amplio is a Latin word that means to improve, to elevate, to ennoble, or to amplify. So the things that I help people and organizations amplify are number one, their authenticity, number two, their mission, and number three, personal touch. And those are all things that I have intimate experience with now 
and I try and help share those messages so that every person and every company can find their best selves and truly be authentic and have a purpose to what they do and then have their signature touch for their customers or for the people around them that allows them to make the most difference possible that they can make. Jody, as I've listened to you talk, and especially as you talked about those beds in that hospital and the people that you um, became associated with through uh, having the same circumstance, I couldn't help but feel how connected you and your book and your story is to Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Have you read that book? I have, and that was one of the things that made me realize that no matter how bad my circumstances got, I had to hold on and have hope. Because that was one of the core things that he said, is the people that lived through those um, concentration camps and those terrible, terrible circumstances, they had hope that something would be better in the future. Even if it was something they just imagined and if it wasn't reality, even if they just came up with something, some reason to hold on. Those who didn't have that hope for the future, they didn't make it out of there. And that was one of the things I felt fortunate was that I knew, especially because I was surrounded with my family and four little kids. My youngest was two years old. I had a lot of hope to hold on and a lot of reasons to get out of that hospital and go home and be a mom and a wife and, and raise these kids. Uh, and it's been the greatest blessing of my life that I've had the opportunity to do that. Wow, thank you. I, I'm glad you saw the same thing I did. That was such a, a, a great coincidence that those two mirrored each other so well. Uh, hope, and, and we have the choice of, of our positive attitude, and, and when we lose hope, things just go downhill quick. So thank you so much, Jody. Our time is up, and, and what a wonderful episode to and instill hope in others that we can overcome those, those difficulties in life. You're a wonderful person. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.